Mets Musings is an unofficial, independent podcast covering New York's National League Baseball team. It is not affiliated in any way with Major League Baseball or the New York Mets. Now it's time for some New York Mets baseball talk. Here's Gary Mack bringing you the latest news and analysis from Mets Nation and the world of baseball on another edition of Mets Musings. And hello and welcome to another edition of Mets Musings. The season has finally started. And not so good for our Metsies as they start off one and two. Embarrassed by the Philadelphia Phillies. Now, I know some people aren't going to agree with that, but uh, even in the game they won, the Phillies came back. And and just made the Mets bullpen look bad. Uh, we've learned a few things in in the short series. And look, I know it's the beginning of the season, so let's not get crazy. But uh, so far, we see the bullpen is still a big mess, big hole there. Uh, defensively, there's still a huge hole there especially at third and at second now. And you have to wonder, has the league caught up with McNeil and Davis? Are they truly bona fide major leaguers? Or were they flashes? We'll have to wait on that one and see. Uh, so far, it looks like the league may have caught up to them. It will be up to them and, and the Mets organization coaching staff to make the proper adjustments to what is being adjusted on them. And we shall see. But even offensively, that doesn't help the defense by both. The defense is pretty horrible. Now, the outfield isn't awful. Nemo has improved. Uh, uh, Pilar is a good center fielder. So is uh, uh, um, the other guy they got. I can't think of his name. Albert Almoretto. That's not it. But uh, he's, you know, he's a good center field as well. So center field is pretty good. Uh, Dom Smith looks a little bit better out in left field. Played a couple of nice balls off the wall. Held guys to singles. So, uh, and Conforto's good in right field. So, really, the outfield isn't the problem. Alonzo's picked up his game at first. Uh, Lindor is Lindor. The holes right now are short and second base. And they're big holes. Uh, not short. I'm sorry. Second and third. Second and third. News on the left field side of the infield. Uh, second and third are really where the the holes are. Davis is not a good fielder. Not a good fielder at all. He's got stone hands over there. Couple of pop flies. He looked. Whoa! Look what I found. So um, the Mets may need to address these issues. And and the bullpen is just horrid. Uh, Trevor May looked terrible. Castro didn't look bad the first night out. Second night out, he got hit all over the ballpark. Uh, May got hit all over the ballpark when they when they got a strike to hit. Uh, he he needed a GPS to find home plate. And familiar, well. Familiar was familiar. Um, just not the same picture anymore. So, um, these are uh, these are the things that are going on, and they'll have to retune it. It's the again, we'll have to see what Hefner can do to get these guys straightened out in the bullpen. Uh, 
And if not, I think uh, there's some short leashes on this team. I think there's a short leash on Rojas. I think there's a short leash on Hefner as far as the coaches go. Don't want to get too far into the season and get too far behind. So uh, we'll see. But it's early yet. But coming up, uh, opening day, afternoon game against those Miami Marlins. And we're going to learn all about the Marlins with my guest this week. And I'll have him on right after this. So stay tuned for that. Baseball and BBQ, your place for interesting baseball talk, opinions, and history. Baseball and BBQ, your place for barbecue recipes, tips, and interviews from the world of barbecue. If you like baseball and if you like barbecue, then tune in to Baseball and BBQ. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and BaseballTalkRadio.com. Wouldn't it be great if you could get a Ph.D. in life through baseball? Welcome to Baseball Ph.D., a tour company for your brain. 30 major league teams, 100 places to see. Let's touch them all as we make the road trip of a lifetime. Check out my Facebook group. It's at facebook.com slash Mets Musings. Go check it out and don't forget to call the hotline. It's 516-619-6341. And I'm back. And joining me this week is my first guest of the big season 2021, the full season. He is Eli Sussman. He is the managing editor of Fish Striped, a uh, Miami Marlins blog. And I think you also do a podcast. Eli, welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Gary. Yes, uh, we do plenty of podcasting on, on Fish Stripes <laughs> almost every day, a little something going on. And yeah, entering this year with new expectations that the team hasn't had in quite a while and with a revived energy because uh, a nice combination of new blood leading the organization, but also a lot of continuity from the team that had an exciting playoff run. So it's, yeah, there's been a lot going on with this team in this first week and uh, really excited for them to match up with the Mets. And it's it's fair to say, I think that last year the uh, the Marlins were really the surprise team of the league, and uh, it's also fair to say that you needed a scorecard to keep up with all the changes because, boy, they were pulling guys in and out and up and down, and and yet they uh, manningly somehow held them all together and got them in jail and got them into the playoffs. And got himself the NL manager of the year. Very well yeah. deserved. I mean, <laughs> he's someone, frankly, who his job security had been in question even the previous year. I mean, in 2019, they lost 105 games. It looked like they'd taken a step backwards in what was supposed to be a steady rebuild. And the way that he handled that shortened season was incredible in the midst of being the first team that had to go through that type of outbreak. Of course, we've seen in other sports and uh, even here in 2021, where we're reminded with the nationals that this yeah. COVID is still a big factor here, that the Marlins were the first ones to really go through that and learn as they went along. Mattingly was someone that was always just so modest about it. Um, how during the rush to replace players after that outbreak, uh, relying on players that he had never met before, before being inserted into games, players that had to be acquired off the waiver wire out of free agency off the couch just to, in order to field a team. And the fact that that team actually played at roughly in a league average level is something that almost defies explanation. The way it ended was just even the more satisfying. I mean, for a franchise that had one of the longest playoff droughts in all of pro sports, it had been 17 years since they'd made the playoffs. Oh. So, I mean, simply reaching that milestone, other franchises are worried about competing for championships and the Marlins hope to be worried about that moving forward. But at least for 2020, just getting into the dance and then even winning that first round against the Cubs, that left everybody really with a feel good feeling and honestly brought some people back into the fan base that had been alienated or had gone frustrated. This was such an easy team to rally around for sure. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a fun team and a young team. And uh, as you said, that uh, winning that first round really did help because a lot of people, I mean, you know, to be honest, a lot of people thought it was a fluke last year, being that it was a 60-game schedule. And uh, now do you think that had it been a full season that they could have kept the momentum going or would there, you know, uh, would their inexperience have eventually, you know, showed up and, and hurt their chances? Uh, it's all speculation at this point, but uh, just out of curiosity. Well, the short answer is no, it, it didn't look sustainable to me. Um, they they <laughs> really just lined, it lined up perfectly for them where obviously they got off to that great start coming out of the outbreak and then they treaded water up until the trade deadline. But the trade deadline was only for them. They were behind schedule due to their postponements. They'd only played about, what, 35 games, not right. even at that point. And so it's possible for any team to tread water after 30 something games and then fancy themselves buyers. And I was very happy with what they did at that deadline in order to sustain it down the stretch in a full length season, though, that deadline comes after 80 or 90 games. And honestly, some of the concerns that that team had last year, are the same ones that are carrying over to this year. And I'm sure we'll get to that shortly where mm-hmm. For offensively, they still have so many questions to answer. They did push some of the right buttons by acquiring some key veterans. Uh, Jonathan VR was someone they got at a great value. Jesus Aguilar, um, really those two, and Aguilar especially, that solidified their lineup. Corey Dickerson and Matt Joyce, all these guys had little roles to play last year and did just enough to eke out some close games. But you add it all together, not really a single one of them is a true, like, solid everyday player. And right. the right. I think as the season went on, even during that dream run that they had, there were some stretches where you really questioned whether or not it was going to fall apart because they just had a tough time putting up crooked numbers. They would able they had um great base running. I mean that was a key last year and something that won't be fully captured in all the data we have is that they really had built a roster that was very complimentary and they were able to create extra runs for themselves as a great base running team, very efficient and aggressive. That's, that's going to be continue to be a key for them because they play in a very pitcher friendly home ballpark. So from that aspect, it it was fun. Uh, And there were certain key situations where they did perform better than you would expect. But overall, I would say it was a mediocre group of talent on its own. And uh, they just they were carried by their starting pitching at the end of it. And that's continues to be the one definitive bright spot about this organization is they've done a great job at creating starting pitching depth. Now, you mentioned starting pitching depth, and uh, you have a couple of guys out now. Uh, uh, Sanchez, who was uh, a big uh, part of last year, was uh, awesome. Uh, Sixto Sanchez and uh why is the other guy's name? Uh, Eliezer Hernandez just went down a few you. days ago. Yeah. 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 So they won't be around for the Mets series. Uh, how long are those guys going to be out? And is the depth enough to, uh, you know, to bridge the gap until they return? Well, for both of them, we don't have a clear timeline yet. Uh, they, the suspect, you know, the general word coming out so far with Sixto, it's shoulder inflammation. And with Eliezer Hernandez, it's a bicep tendon, um, also inflammation, biceps tendon. So for both of them, they feel they dodged the bullet, that there's no structural mm-hmm. damage, and that both of them could return to throwing relatively soon. But uh, especially with Sixto being their number one overall prospect and someone who's had some durability issues in the past, they're going to be extra cautious with him. I mean, his he means so much to their team over the next decade, not necessarily for 2021. Right. With him, um, I think you're still looking at several weeks, if not more than a month away. He was, and that's the, the, the big bummer with him is that he was so close. He wasn't on their opening day roster because he was behind schedule in spring training. And he was so close to joining them, in fact, for this road trip. I believe as things lined up, he would have been starting the Sunday game of the series against the Mets if all had gone smoothly, but then you had this setback. And then with Eliezer, he suffered this injury just two innings in to his first start of the regular season uh, a couple of days ago. And he's someone that has also had durability issues before. Very exciting guy because he misses a lot of bats. 
Um, he's actually the oldest member of their rotation right now, if you could believe it. Still just 25 years old, about to turn 26 <laughs> next month, and he's the gray beard that they had. Uh, so with, with him, again, it's a timeline where he right now he's not throwing at all, and uh, they'll have to reevaluate him. The first MRI, they didn't really see all that much issue with the biceps tendon, but it's still a number of weeks away. So in the meantime, they are calling upon even younger guys, if that's possible. They're uh, relying on, well, they called up one of their other key prospects, Nick Neidert, who pitched a little bit in the majors last year and was their former minor league pitcher of the year in 2018. He's expected to start one of the games in the series that they still haven't announced as of this recording, but he's expected to start on Thursday tomorrow, but he may be pushed back to Sunday. He's going to start one of the two games. And then the other one is still a little up in the air where they could call up another player from their alternate training site, whether it be Daniel Castano or Braxton Garrett, or they could put that start in the hands of their rule five draft pick, Paul Campbell. He came from the Tampa Bay Rays. He did well enough in spring training to stick with the team. Someone that we've just seen pitch once in a relief appearance. And that's really the thing is that these guys do have great talent, but they're so inexperienced. It's a bit of an unknown for sure. And a a big contrast I'd say between the Mets being a very veteran team. And, you know, there's only one way to get experience and that's to get thrown in the fire. And, you know, if if you get hit, you get hit. I mean, uh, that's how you learn. Uh, The Mets had uh, David Peterson, the second year guy going today and had a terrible first inning, gave up four runs and then kind of settled down. They took him out in the fourth and then, of course, the bullpen's awful again so far. So uh, they they blew up. But, uh, you know, you can't teach experience and to get it on this level. uh, I always used to say, even if you bring a guy up September and throw him in there, you know, it's 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 better than nothing at all. You know, it's it's uh, they get a feel. They get a feel for a little bit of the pressure, even at the beginning of the season, and and it makes them better. Now, there's a lot of uh, uh, this year, at least there's some familiar faces around the infield. Uh, You've got uh, Alfaro behind the plate. And you mentioned Aguiar at uh, first. Um, the guy I was interested in that I watched a, a game the other day was your second baseman. Uh, Jazz Chisholm is the guy's name. And this guy looks like, oh, barring injury, this guy's going to be a superstar, I think. Um, he's dynamic. He's exciting. He's fast as the wind. Uh, I, I the game I was watching, I forget which game it was. The he got on first, forget, I think he got a base hit, he stole second, stole third, and mm-hmm. then came home on a wild pitch. I think it was. I'm, I'm right. when you get my age, your mind starts to go a little bit, <laughs> but I mean, he did the whole he he built the run all by himself and uh, just amazing. and. Uh, seems like a happy-go-lucky guy, and uh, tell me a little bit about him. I could do a whole podcast just on jazz alone. <laughs> he is he is that special, that unique. He's a, a hand-picked prospect by Derek Jeter, as the story goes, where they saw him in the Arizona Fall League back in Jeter's first full year running the team, and they were blown away by him. They end up trading for him the following year in 2019 from Arizona, and uh, he ends up debuting in 2020 down the stretch. A pretty limited role last year uh, as the second baseman. <clears throat> called up uh, the beneficiary of some injuries that they had up the middle. And he had some key highlights there. Someone that has skipped AAA entirely because he spent the 2019 season at AA. And then this year, he was in a competition coming out of spring training with Isan Diaz, who was once a pretty highly regarded prospect on his own. Jazz simply beat him out. He hit, he led the team in home runs this spring and I think was second in stolen bases. He's the type of guy that really makes those impact plays, all kinds of impact plays as a hitter, as a base runner. He is so toolsy and it's deceptive because he's only about my size. He's only about maybe 5'10", 5'11", and not particularly large person, but he has so much athleticism in there and he's able to harness it at these, these key moments. 
And I mean, probably the bigger story is just who he is as a person and how much he embraces being a major leaguer and all the responsibilities that carries. He is such a model ambassador for the game. The only, I believe the only active player right now who was born in the Bahamas at the major league level. And he's trying to lead a pipeline of future Bahamians to come up to the major leagues (laughs) as well. He's someone that once he got traded from the Arizona organization to the Marlins, he described it as coming home. He just felt so comfortable being here, being a closer trip back to his native Bahamas. And it's it's just it has showed where he performed better in the minor leagues after the trade and he performed great in spring training and now yeah making an instant impact uh almost an everyday player he's a primary second baseman occasionally gets spelled for uh john birdie um as their utility guy but for the most part playing just about every day and he is it's an unusual team because we talk about this as a, a young team but that's really on the pitching side among uh, the position players he is really the only one that you would still consider a prospect, someone that is still just tapping into his ability. Otherwise, he's surrounded by a lot of veterans in this lineup. And that's what makes this an interesting balancing act where uh, his performance, thank goodness, it's been like an easy decision to put him in the lineup so far because he's performing great. Um, The reality is, though, he's so young and he's never been through anything close to a full major league season. Um, Even if he does struggle, there's the expectation that they'll just keep running him out there and uh, keep giving him opportunities to reach his incredible ceiling that he has, because this is a franchise that is in that transition between continuing to rebuild and contending. And they hope he's the guy that helps them really toe that line where he's that young guy that still has all these years ahead of him, but they think he could contribute immediately because of how well he does all around and how competitive he is Mm -hmm. checking all the boxes that you would want from a young player. At the same time, there are some things to iron out. He's had some strikeout issues in the past. He's very aggressive player, um, aggressive swinger early in the count, sometimes not getting the greatest pitch to hit just because he's so eager to make an impact. And the, the fan base has really quickly attached to him. They've started to really fall in love with him. And we just can't wait until it's a post-COVID reality where you can truly <laughs> embrace these guys and be around them because he is infectious and he really gravitates towards people and he feeds off that fan energy. Infectious in a good way. Not, not, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, not in a clever, COVID yeah. way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I don't recall... Uh, what I watched in the game, I don't think he gained any chances. How defensively is he solid? He, he he looks like he's he's fast enough to overcome any mistakes he may make. You know, he's got the athleticism and and the quickness and the speed. So uh, I would imagine he's okay defensively. He's a shortstop in the second baseman's position. He go. is someone that has always been a shortstop throughout, I believe, his entire pro career, and certainly mm-hmm. since he's been the organization, they think he is a plus defensive shortstop moving forward. And so do pretty much all the evaluators that you would trust to be objective about this because, but at the moment they have Miguel Rojas, who is the unofficial captain of the team. And Rojas is coming off an incredible year during the shortened season that has solidified him as the everyday player at short. Uh, And he's a pretty good shortstop as well. Yes. He's he's very smooth. He's a different type of player though. He's a 32 years old and he's someone that has, never really had that same kind of athleticism. He's someone that gets by on his fundamentals and his awareness and just his sheer hard work. Whereas jazz is someone that has, yeah, just different abilities and a different potential. They eventually they may, they actually recorded a joint interview a few days ago. That was very fascinating where they were challenged about this situation where jazz is being labeled by many as the shortstop of the future. But what does that mean for Miguel Rojas, who has been again, the leader of this team and a great performer recently. And both of them are, they're saying the right things about how they want to coexist, where if Rojas continues performing at a high level, then all right, jazz fills that void at second base that they do currently have at the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, If Rojas eventually father time catches up to just about everybody, except for Nelson Cruz, it seems, but just about every other player father time catches up to you. And if Rojas transitions into a utility role, a part-time player, then jazz becomes the shortstop as well. So there's room for both of them. They believe. And uh, for the moment, both of them are just right up the middle as uh, the main double play combination. Yeah. 
And, and you mentioned Birdle before. I think the game I had on, he was playing third. Uh, they'll move him all around the infield. Who's the pro- uh, predominant third baseman? Uh, is it still it? Is it Anderson or? Uh, yeah. yeah, still Brian Anderson. This is now already is his fourth year, and uh, Brian Anderson is is a pretty popular player. Somebody that honestly profiles as an obvious contract extension candidate. I know the Mets have uh, been paying a lot of attention to contract extensions and uh, they've more established players that have been candidates for it. But Brian Anderson is someone that each of the past three years, he's been an above average player. He gets overshadowed because we're in a great era for third baseman around the league. So he's someone that could be a very productive player and yet still be overshadowed, you know, not really in contention for being an all-star selection, although he was a gold glove finalist in the National League last year. Yeah, he's just a really well-rounded player, drafted and developed by the organization, which is something that is an, an anomaly right now among their core. So many of these guys were acquired via trade when they tore everything down a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Most of these key players that they have right now were acquired in those rebuilding trades, whereas Anderson's been here the whole time. He's drafted, developed by the organization, and he gets a little bit better every single year. Uh, as we're recording this, he's off to somewhat of a slow start offensively, but he's he's a streaky player. I think last year, Every year, really, these three years in a row, he's right up there for one of their leaders in home runs and RBIs. It's not really saying much because this has not been a great offensive team (laughs) during this stretch, but he's been steady, and that's what people appreciate uh, with him. So he's, yeah, he'll be playing just about every day at third base, and uh, one of the key players that's in the middle of their lineup that Don Mattingly has taken a really nice connection to. Like And like I said just a few minutes ago, we've been – the Marlins were very quiet this offseason, and for you could understand a lot of those reasons for doing so. But yet, if they were so confident in these young players that they have in the, the core of their team, you would think this would be a nice opportunity to lock them up long term before they truly break out, right? And raise their mm-hmm. asking prices. And this is a concern that, at least personally, that I would have with Brian Anderson, that this could be his best year yet. And once he puts up that kind of year and gets one step closer to free agency, they may have missed that window as a relatively small market right. team to to sign him long term. So so we'll see with him. Yeah, it's it's a tough thing to figure out sometimes. You, know, you don't know how they're going to react once they sign the extension. Sometimes it, it goes to their heads, sometimes not. But uh uh, you know, like you said, you, you will just have to wait and see how the outfield it, it's a little bit down the road from the days of Yelich and Stanton. Uh, but uh, talk to us a little bit about the outfield. They finally have some s- stability in the middle, which they've been desperately missing, because I think it's fair to say that the first couple of years uh, after those trades, they were just aimlessly wandering in the wilderness, trying to find somebody to fill the void. And they did not have a lot of success those first few years, all sorts of obscure players cycling in and out, uh, JB Shuck and Rafael Ortega and, um, Oh, uh, Curtis Granderson, but at the twilight of his career, unfortunately, all these names that cycled through that weren't productive at this stage of their careers. And so they finally made that investment at the trade deadline last year to acquire Starling Marte, who has quietly had a really great career for himself as a Mm well-rounded player. And he's off to an amazing start this season. He's embedded at the top of their lineup. And a fun fact entering this series is that he is right now the only player still that has started every single game this season for the Marlins. They've had like revolving doors at all these other lineup spots, but he's been the one rock for them. These first six games hitting nearly 400 in the process and playing a good defensive center field, someone that is entering his free agent year. So that's been an interesting topic of conversation where at this moment, you can make the case that he is their most valuable all around player. And yet um, this might be the only one full season that they have of him before he takes one big crack at the market. Just looking ahead a little bit, the free agent market for center fielders next year, that class, he's almost definitively the best guy that will be available next year if he makes it to free agency and it'll be tough to bring him back. 
For the moment, though, they're savoring any every minute they have with him because he is really well-rounded and he's taken a liking to their other young outfielders that they're trying to bring along uh, to maybe be his successor someday. Uh, in the corners, it's a uh, bit of a juggling act. It's really three guys for two spots, you could say, between Corey Dickerson, uh, Garrett Cooper, and Adam Duvall. Adam Duvall being the one new addition to the team on the mm-hmm. offensive side because they do have a lot of continuity on the position player side, almost all the same hitters as last year, but with Duvall coming in after a couple of years with the Braves in a part-time role. And so Duvall is the primary right fielder and Dickerson is the primary left fielder, but neither are true everyday players, I would say at this stage. And when they need some time off, that's where Garrett Cooper comes in, where Cooper, I would say is their most talented overall hitter. He's someone that has incredible raw power to all fields and good discipline at the plate as well. Simply has been snake bitten throughout his entire career. He's always nicked up with some kind of injury. And last year was one of the many players that caught COVID during the season. And that kept him out for about 25, 30 games of it. When he's healthy, he's such a big impact, and it's a reason why there was some bitterness around the Marlins about having no designated hitter in the National League this year. I think they were <laughs> planning on that. I believe the plan was um, pretty clearly that he would be their main DH or Jesus Aguilar would be their main DH and open up first base for Cooper, that they they see Cooper as worthy of being an everyday player as long as health permitting, he's able to stay on the field. And now they have this, it's a big challenge for Don Mattingly. It's not the same challenge as last year for him, but there are certainly some tricky decisions to be made. And it's frustrating for the moment as entering this series where he's, uh, they believe that they had a surplus of decent bats and yet he can't really find the right combination because they're not really putting runs on the board with the exception of one single game they had so far, the one game that they've won. Well, you know, it's a tough thing, and and uh, uh, certainly uh, after his performance last year, I'm sure he'll find a way to do it again. Uh, the the bullpen, the all important bullpen. <laughs> uh, how is that shaking out for this season for the Marlins? Well, I would say that honestly, one of the most pleasant surprises so far from the first homestand they had was one of their new acquisitions, Dylan Floro, acquired from the Dodgers, uh, who contributed to the world championship team. It always makes you sweat a little bit when a great organization like the Dodgers is willing to trade away somebody that is still affordable and still in their prime and still effective the previous year. It makes you wonder if they're about to fall off a cliff. But so far, it's been very good from him. He was able to get into four of their first six games and has really stabilized their setup role for them with him. And But I, I start with him because he's really the one bright spot of this first few games. There's a lot of, there's a lot of turnover in their bullpen relative to last year. Um, they kept Yimmy Garcia. They kept Richard Blyer. And that's about it. Just about everybody else that was part of their bullpen last year either went through free agency or was traded away or is currently at the alternate training site. So it's it's been a weakness for the team early on for sure. And that's been a disappointment, uh, allowing a lot of home runs across the board uh, from John Curtis, who was acquired from the Tampa Bay Rays to some of their very young players. Um, the, the difficult balancing act they're doing is that they – had two guys on their roster right now who are the rule five draft picks. We have Paul Campbell, who we mentioned before could be a swing Mm -hmm. man for them. And also Zach pop, who was very impressive in spring training. And he made the roster as like a a middle reliever. And as much promise as those guys show, they didn't pitch at triple a, they didn't really pitch in any formal setting in 2020 because there was no minor league baseball season. Mm -hmm. It's such a steep learning curve from them. If the Marlins are committed to keeping them around and that's the idea of making a rule five pick is if you're looking at the long term, then you have to go with the growing pains. And so with Pop, he had a, a there's no way to sugarcoat it. He had a disastrous outing <laughs> here on Wednesday at the final game of the homestand, came in trying to keep the game close and couldn't even get through his one ending of work, giving up a grand slam. So with him, he has a lot of potential, but they're committed to he's someone that 
by keeping him in the major league bullpen, it means having someone that's probably more major league ready, uh, squeezed out of the equation. Um, some of the other guys, Adam Simber, the submarine pitcher, he's been hit or miss so far at the, uh, with the Marlins and uh, definitely gives you a different look than you're accustomed to doing, but simply doesn't miss very many bats. Uh, and Richard Blyer was someone that was great for them down the stretch last year and is off to a slow start so far here in 2021. A, a soft tosser from the left side, usually very reliable to get ground balls, except for this first week of the season, it's taking him some time to get comfortable. And I guess the key the key guys at the back end, I suppose, the ones that ultimately will have the biggest impact on the team and whether they contend or not are Yimmy Garcia and Anthony Bass. And Anthony Bass signed to be a free agency. His first save opportunity of the year went uh, pretty terrible as well, uh, entering with a two-run lead and leaving with a two-run deficit in a game that they ended up losing. That was... Uh, very demoralizing, but he's someone that has a little closing experience and he was able to really take it in stride and bounce back the following day. Uh, someone that for the time being, they're fully committed to Anthony Bass being the closer. And if, if anything falters with him or if he gets hurt, then Yimmy Garcia is the next man up. A mixed track record with him through his major league career coming off a good 2020, but he's like a few of these other pitchers, at least early on in this year, very prone to giving up these long fly balls that can do a lot of damage if they're able to clear the wall. So it's a much different group than last year and fingers crossed it'll be a better group, but at, for, the jury is still out on that. Bullpens. So, Oh, what can I say? I mean, sometimes it, they gel, sometimes they don't, sometimes it takes a while for them to gel. So, uh, you know, it's still so early in the season that uh, it, it's really difficult to tell a lot of things, but you know, it is, it is what it is. It's going to be uh, that throughout the season. And, and, you know, it's up to the manager again, to move things around to try to get guys into the right position. Uh, it could be a fun weekend. If it's a battle of the bullpen, <laughs> we could have some high offensive games going on this weekend. So maybe, you, maybe, uh, uh, this will give the Marlins a chance to break out of that uh, offensive uh, malaise that they're in and put some runs on the board. But uh, uh, I was I was trying to look and see if I could find out what if if any of the, the pitching projections were up. But uh, none. Uh, I I imagine that we were going to see Alcantara this weekend. Uh, Unfo well, unfortunately not. He's someone nope. that would okay. be technically, he could be lined up on regular rest for Sunday, but the plan is to push him back to give everybody an extra day of rest. Actually, as we're recording this, it has still not been uh, decided for the Marlins to oh, I mentioned okay. these two. Well, I mentioned when Sandy will Alcantara will not be in this series, but even for Thursday, um, Don Mattingly is non-committal between Nick Neidert and Paul Campbell, both of those, the very young guys who haven't started a major league game before. So either way for that first game of the series, going with a neophyte. And then on Saturday, it'll be Trevor Rogers who had an amazing spring training. He's a former first round draft pick, but uh, also had some mixed results in his very first start of the season, a huge left-hander that the Mets faced at least once last year, for sure. I think he made his debut against the Mets. If I remember correctly in city field that he's, he has a lot of potential and someone that has great pure stuff and a good command of it. We're, we're just waiting to see whether he can put it all together. So he'll be on for Saturday. And then on Sunday, it should be whoever, of these neophytes doesn't start on Thursday. <laughs> so between Nick Neidert and Paul Campbell. So in some order, the three starters for the Marlins, Nick Neidert, Trevor Rogers, and Paul Campbell. And I, I think any way you slice it, the Mets would probably have the advantage in at least two of those games. Yeah, I think, uh, uh, I think Tejon Walker is going tomorrow. And I think Saturday is going to be DeGrom. I think uh, we'll take the, a little bit of an edge there. Sunday uh, probably would be Strowman. Um, so uh, yeah, a little bit more experience on on uh, the Mets than uh, the Marlins, but uh, 
well, we can hope for a good series. Let's have a good, clean, <laughs> you know, series. Uh, it. How is Derek Jeter being perceived? There was some when he first took over and started clearing house. There was some bad blood down there. Has the attitude towards Jeter, you know, changed any since they? been more successful of late i would say so yeah um yeah the response from initially to him was understandable the fact that his group ended up paying more money for the franchise than many were expecting when they saw 1.2 billion dollars for this franchise that had been let's be honest pretty dysfunctional for a number of years heading into this and ones that was notorious for having low attendance and low tv ratings that the expectation was if they're willing to pay all this money to buy in, then they're surely going to be aggressive and improving the team once they get here. So the initial first step to take a step back before building up was certainly rub people the wrong way. And there were some other PR related uh, snafus that he made and some poor etiquette that he showed getting used to the job and getting used to the Miami market, which he didn't really know very much about at all before moving down here. At this point, though, he is, I would say, certainly among the majority, he is popular. Um, I guess you could, any number of reasons you could point to um, the renovations they've made to the ballpark. Some that I I suppose that on a national stage, some of these changes haven't been popular, like the home run sculpture moving yeah, from the field to the plaza that. outside. <laughs> the, um, the new paint job, they toned down the colors of, the, the inside of the venue to take away the green and make it a more neutral color. The, and most recently the fish tanks where they used to have fish behind home plate, actual live fish yeah. that they've been removed. Now I would just tell you that among actual Marlins fans, they were, these were kind of viewed as very tacky and inauthentic features, kind of gimmicks that didn't necessarily reflect what the locals actually wanted and might explain why the locals hadn't really been attending games despite all these like luxuries going on in the place. So I'd say some of those moves were based on fan feedback, doing things that he believes that locals actually prioritize. And I suppose the biggest move that he's made over this past off season, of course, was to hire Kim Ang as their general manager to break a glass ceiling and bring the first woman general manager into baseball. Someone that had interviewed for the same position uh, numerous times with so many organizations and always mm-hmm. been turned down, uh, not for any of her own faults, but simply the reality of this male dominated industry. And he was someone that didn't really fall into those same uh, biases that other people were affected by. He decided right. that they needed, he needed his own person. I mean, that was another decision that at the very first moment when he decided to part ways with Michael Hill, Michael Hill had been there a long time and certainly helped them reach the postseason last year for him to be dismissed as their president of baseball operations coming off a playoff berth was very surprising, but he chose the best possible replacement any way you look at it to bring in Kim Ang to this position. So to see him do that. And to this point, they've been doing so much collaboration in this front office where they're not putting too much on her plate uh, where it's truly. So she's doing her work and seeing what it is the franchise has done to put themselves in a position to be successful. Mm -hmm. And also of course, bringing in all of her best practices that have come from working in front offices for decades now that it seems to be a great fit. And so I certainly tip my cap to Derek Jeter for doing that because I, if, if the Marlins had not hired her, I'm not sure who, what other team would have taken that step and it will put, it'll definitely pay dividends down the road, putting her in charge. Uh, yeah, the question is how much that translates during the 2021 season. We're, of course, off to a mm. relatively slow start with that. Growing pains, right? Growing yeah. pain. And they got to get rid of those black uniforms, though. The black, I don't know. I'm sorry. The black jerseys, though, I just, they meld too much together and it's hard to see what team they even are. And 
I uh, agree. So this is probably one decision okay. where where people are still looking for some answers here about the uniforms, not just the black jerseys and your concerns about being able to read the names on the jerseys. That's been an issue from the start that really yeah. hasn't been addressed now. This now being the third season since they went to the new color scheme, but also that in spring training every year and also during batting practice during the regular season, their warm-up jerseys are this bright blue color that are somewhat similar to what it used to, the teal back in the day mm-hmm. when they were in the Florida Marlins. And those are extremely popular. I can't even pre- emphasize that enough, how popular the blues are. And yet they don't, they wear them in their spring training games. And it's become a running joke that, They wear them in spring, and they are always one of the best teams in spring training year after year, including this year. They had the highest (laughs) winning percentage in spring training, almost always wearing the blue uniforms, and yet during the regular season, they haven't taken that step to do it. And so I've spoken to people in the organization that don't really give me a great answer (laughs) as to what exactly the holdup is, but they must recognize by now how almost universally popular it is that they do that. Uh, So I agree. That there is some work to do on the, the the appearances that this team uses, trying to uh, be distinct. You don't want to look like every other nondescript team out there. You want to yeah. be unique, and uh, they have they already have the color scheme to do it. You you just hope they embrace it. So there's time yeah. to get to that. It's not the highest priority of all things considered, <laughs> but it's definitely on my mind for sure. And I like the original logo too, the original hat and everything too. Uh, you know, even when they had the teal hats and that was really unique, you know, but everybody changes. So uh, uh, black seems to be the big color again. The uh, Mets are going to bring back their black jerseys that they wore uh, early in the 2000s and the late 1990s. So they're going to bring them back once in a while. And uh, I guess that's the, you know, everything's about money now in these alternate jerseys and stuff. So uh, we'll see what happens. Well, Eli, this has been great. I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your schedule to come on tonight. And uh, lots of luck to the Marlins starting Monday after the series is over. <laughs> <laughs> it should be good. Let's hope for, you know, some good games. And that's all we can ask for as baseball fans. Absolutely. Yes. Not not going to get greedy at this time of year. It's just great to have the game back and have these conversations back just a week into the season. You wouldn't believe how many uh, how many questions I get about the lineup, how many complaints I get about uh, all these big picture changes that people want to make because of a couple losses in a row. And it's just it's a great feeling that we have a full length season ahead of us where. We're only it's I've watched so much baseball over this past week and it's only about what three percent, four percent of the whole season. So much of it is still in front of us. And uh yeah, trying to balance between living and dying with every moment and then realizing the big picture and how, how it all adds up. Very excited to yeah, play the Mets because I think it's pretty clear that the Mets are improved over what we saw last season in mm-hmm. the last few seasons, that they're they're a team that I'm sure we'll be taking the Marlins very seriously every game. And uh, that will make it all the more fulfilling in the rare instances where the Marlins do come out on top. But it's there's a lot at stake in these games mm-hmm. for really every game in this division. It's such a deep right. division. So, yeah, it really has me fired up for this year for sure. And thanks so much for bringing me on. And tell us uh, where folks can read your blog or listen to your podcast. Yeah, well, I'm the one pulling the strings here at Fish Stripes. <laughs> and so they can find me. You could put the words Fish Stripes. Uh, you can find us everywhere where <laughs> Fish Stripes. The website is fishstripes.com. Uh, the Twitter account is at Fish Stripes. We're on YouTube, we're on Instagram. We do a lot of video and live streaming. And of course, we do a podcast where a couple of times a week, full length podcasting. And then every single day, we have these little nuggets, these little um, brief news bites every morning that are 10 minutes or less getting caught up on Marlins News. Just search Fish Stripes wherever you get your podcast and you can find me. And uh, it's not just a one man operation. I probably have a dozen or more contributors uh, along what side that help us do what we do on all these platforms covering the team. 
And uh, we've been pretty lucky to cooperate with the team itself to do some credentialed coverage, to attend all these Zoom conferences with the players and with Don Mattingly. That, uh, yeah, we just can't get enough. Uh, Every little thing that goes on with the organization, (laughs) we want to be on top of it. And we think that uh, we'll put it all together and we have a good time. Well, that's great. And again, I want to thank you for coming on the show and uh, good luck to the Marlins. And uh, I'll be back right after this. Five one six six one nine six three four one. That is the comment voicemail hotline if you'd like to be a part of the show and drop us a line leave us a comment or a voicemail question anything at all call that number 516-619-6341 or go to metsmusings.com and click on that widget in the middle of the screen and that's a speak pipe and you can leave a voicemail right through your computer through your computer's microphone or if you prefer to do things the old-fashioned way, send us an email at metsmusings at gmail.com. The Facebook page is facebook.com slash groups slash metsmusings. And uh, if you'd uh, like to help out the show, check out our Patreon page. Check out the campaign at patreon.com slash metsmusings. back and uh i know everybody's been waiting to see if i'm going to mention about the mlb moving the all-star game stupid move by the mlb stupid and that's all i'm gonna say it it was a ridiculous move they obviously didn't read the bill had didn't do their homework manfred is ruining the game should be terminated immediately uh drawn and courted Chased out of New York, uh, tarred and feathered, whatever you want to say. He should not be commissioner of baseball. It needs to be gone. First, the stupid rules. Now, this stupid decision. And uh, that's all I'm going to say about that. And that's going to wrap it up for this week's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I want to thank my guest, Eli Sussman. As we look at the schedule, the Mets have three with the Marlins. And then the Phillies come into City Field for four before the Mets travel out to Colorado for a three-game set next weekend, following weekend, not this upcoming weekend, the following weekend. So, as I said, that's going to wrap it up. I want to thank you all for listening and watching. And don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Cast. Box, YouTube, wherever you listen or watch the podcast, please hit that subscribe button. That helps me grow the community and grow the show and expand to new listeners. And it lets you know whenever there's a show release. So hit the subscribe button on YouTube, hit that little bell, and you'll know immediately when a new show is released. So please do that. So until next time, remember, keep the faith, stay optimistic. It's early in the season yet. And let's go Mets. And I'll see you next time on another edition of Mets Musing.